Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I am your handsome host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined by everyone's favorite communications director slash church health guy, downtown Justin Nash. What up, Jay Nash? Hey, what's happening? Not much, man. You know what we're doing today? We are seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. I'm pretty stoked because we are talking about an article that has been all over social media that I've seen other church members, thankfully not mine, posting and reposting and singing its praises. Uh, and we get to talk about it. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. Well, yeah. there's uh, there's no way we don't offend somebody. We are offending this. literally everybody today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There will be ousters for, uh, there will be those seeking my ouster and yours for sure. Bring it on. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So uh, for, the, for the uninitiated, there has been an article written by some guy that no one has ever heard of, kind of like us. No one's ever heard of us, um, about hymnals and bringing back hymnals, which uh, actually, Justin, you know what I tried to do this past Sunday? Use a hymnal. I tried using a hymnal. Uh, you know why? I do not. Your screens are broken. I, because I like hymnals. Okay. Believe it or not, I actually like hymnals. I am 31 years old, um, and I like hymnals. That's my confession for for the day. But the um, the problem was um, my my lovely worship team that does a wonderful job. Either I misheard what page or what number him him it was, or they said the wrong one because it clearly was not the right song. Hmm. So you were like singing something completely different by yourself. Uh, for, a, for a minute. Yeah. Right. I hope that was mic'd up and recorded. So. Uh, no, it was not. You know better. <laughs> so this is an article for those who don't know, written by Tom. Is it Rob? Mm, Rab? Rab. Let's go with Rab. R-A-A-B-E is his last okay. name. All right, and you liked the article far more than I did, but the title of the article is Why Churches Should Ditch the Projector Screens. By the way, my church does not have a projector screen. We have TVs. And bring back hymnals. Um, And the subtitle is Christians need to understand that relying on screens and other technology is not leading to better worship. It's ruining it. Now, my reformed brothers and sisters who adhere strictly to the regulative principle would say, Amen. And let's get rid of the instruments and the hymnals and go back to the Psalms. Wow. That, that would be something. Um, singing Psalms. I'm good. Rough. We've done that a couple. We've, we've done that a couple of times in my church. Yeah. It, it works if they're set to music. <laughs> so, so we, we don't, I mean, we don't know how to sing yeah, as a culture. We don't know how to sing like that anymore. I think that'd be a, a huge challenge. Well, I think we don't know how to say So this is what we're going to do, Justin, is we're going to read um, section by section, and then we're going to comment along the way and talk about some of the positive merits and maybe some of the problems with the article as well. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay, cool. So do you want to read the first part or you want me to read it? Okay, I'll read it. Um, okay. So I'm going to just start with this introduction here. It says, a couple of decades ago, churches split in a grand debate over worship. Contentious arguments raged over every aspect of worship style, components, decorum, and practically everything else. Every church seemed to be choosing between opposites, organ or praise band, historic liturgy or rock liturgies, contemporary songs or historic hymns. The fallout was ugly. 
assemblies erupted in dissonance and members on the losing side transferred out. Years Stop. Ago. Okay. You know what the problem is here? What's the problem? You know who everybody loses when we, are, when we fight over music? No, no question. Good. Can we agree Ex- on that? Uh, excellent point. Excellent point. But I say in the general tenor of this, of this article made me think right away that he felt he was on the losing side, the author, and he's kind of, he, he, he is, he's got a bone to pick. Yeah. I think that's a really fair uh, way to read the tone of this. There's no question about that. So it's fair for us to probably say, and again, we've tried looking up Tom Robb to see like where he comes from, his education and all that stuff. We can't find much, but it at least comes across in a way that he, he feels slighted. He feels like his girlfriend has left him. Mm, yeah definitely okay all right years later the voices have calmed and the dust has settled some pastors declared a sort of separate peace by establishing rival worship services one traditional one modern others went the blended worship route while this included enough elements from both styles to at least keep the group together everyone was left a little dissatisfied mixing pipe organs and electric guitars tends to do that just for the record, I am not a fan of separate services. I think you create two separate bodies within the church when you do that. I agree. Can I just say that I'm not a fan of pipe organs? Well, that's fine. You don't have to be a fan okay. of pipe organs. You're a fan of pipes though, right? Oh no, that's cigars. <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough. All right. Perhaps we no longer hear about worship, the worship debate because everyone is simply tired of fighting. Positions have calcified. No matter how well-intentioned, Few minds are being changed. Bringing up the subject only tears open wounds that have, haven't quite healed. More likely, the reason that you don't hear much about worship wars is that one side has won. It may not be a total victory, but one side is clearly winning while the other is cowering in the back pew, hoping a pack of millennials doesn't make them wave their arms in the air and sing whatever Chris Tomlin or Bethel music wrote that morning. Okay, um, I kind of like the snarkiness of this. Can I just say that? Sure. Like he's coming across as a jerk and I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting when he talks about um, not healing and fighting and all that. And he does it with uh, a less than conciliatory tone. (laughs) I mean, he's really trying to, I think he's trying to not bring healing, like you said, but he's really trying to tell anyone who disagrees with him that essentially you're forcing the older generation to do things they don't want to do. By the way, um, the older generation has forced my generation to do many things that we didn't want to do. Right. Well, I mean, his overall point about this is you're on the wrong side of history. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how it's going to come across as we continue to read that contemporary worship is bad and traditional worship is the best. I mean, and that's how he, you know, how he's going to come across and how he's going to define it. So, so there's definitely a, a tone of, of hostility even, but maybe, but you know, in our culture today, well-reasoned civil discourse is gone. So even in the no. church, even in the church. Yeah. So I guess we should be thankful. It's no more inflammatory than it is. All right. On to his first section and I'll let you read it. Okay. Oh, of course. The one on informality as I'm sitting here in my gym shorts and t-shirt. <sighs> informality at church is increasing. This is his first major point. 
published in 2015, the National Congregation Study, undertaken by researchers at Duke University, surveyed nearly 4,000 congregations across the Christian spectrum. It found that traditional aspects of worship were in decline. Between 1998 and 2012, congregations that used choirs in worship decreased from 54 to 45%. Those using organs dropped from 53 to 42%. Use of drums increased from 20, oh, don't dare say it, to 34% of congregations between 1998 and 2012. Well, um, so I appreciate your dramatic reading of the statistical information. I had to spice it up. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm, done with the point. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You want me to stop? No, no, you go ahead. See, what the audience doesn't know is we're doing this completely cold. So this, you're getting our initial, well, I guess our thought over, but kind of initial, we're spitballing here. Yeah. So moving on, he says, while churches printing bulletins fell from 72 to 62%, the use of projected images rose by 23%. Informality in worship is way up. Shouting amen, wearing shorts to church. And formality is way down, calling the minister pastor so-and-so, dressing up for services. Okay. Okay, so I want to stop right there for a second. So I find the statistics surprising in the fact that I thought more churches would use bulletins, because I don't know if I've ever been to a church that doesn't print a bulletin. And I am surprised that the use of projected images, as he says, only rose by 23%. That's, uh, they were, that's because in 1998, they were projecting quite a few images, probably. Yeah, I you, well, I don't know. I mean, this is between 1998 and 2012, so it's kind of dated, really. I mean, that's seven, eight years ago at this point, the, the tail end of this. Um, the other thing is I'm not sure calling somebody pastor so-and-so is evidence of informality um so i to me it seems like a proper term of respect um and even endearment so i i disagree with that i mean that's nitpicking but i just disagree with i it. think it's all kind of nitpicking but you know i look at here's the thing is when did formality become a litmus test for our faith yeah, I mean, I get that, but at the same time, also, I think the the difference maybe is, like, I don't think we should be casual in coming to God to worship. And I think the way he's using formal and informal here is he's equating a certain type of worship, a certain... Um, liturgical, very staid, very structured worship as both formal and not casual. And when he says informality, I think he means uh, there's a there's a lack of I mean it's a it's about being casual. And I would actually agree with the notion that we should never enter worship in a casual way when what we're actually talking about in worship is entering into the presence of God and to worship him, we should never do that casually. 
um, I think this whole, this whole idea of formality and informality, that's very cultural. What's formal in one place mm-hmm. is completely informal in some other. I say, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure his ter- I mean, I know what he means by his terms. I think I just, I, I don't know how helpful they are. I like the idea of casual versus not casual. Um, mm-hmm. And from my perspective anyway, so that's mm-hmm. what I think about that. Yeah, I think, again, who's the one being divisive here is my question. But Tom Rob probably doesn't see it that way. Moving on, the survey didn't come right out and say it, but informal worship with contemporary Christian music seems to have won the worship war. And really, like, shouldn't we all be grieved that there was a war to begin with? Like, oh, that, that should... We should we should be upset that there was even a war to begin with. About you know what that tells me. Period. Like you, you can't move me off this point. I don't care who you think was wrong or right. The fact that there was even a war shows the idolatry of the Christian's heart. That that the Christian looks towards their man-made ways in which they want to worship God and take no consideration for how God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now, to worship in spirit and truth has nothing to do with whether you use a hymnal, a projector, whether you have bulletins. Bulletins are in the Bible. Um, Christian contemporary music, nor hymns, were in the Bible. So they sang spiritual songs. They sang psalms. It's, it's very frustrating to hear that just, well, here's a matter of fact, the war, the war is here, the war was won, and it was CCM. And they're, they're the ones who were the winners. Everybody lost. The kingdom has lost. Sorry. Yep. Continue. May, may I go on? Okay. <laughs> this might just be a series of, of long diatribes. I'm sorry. All the well, megachurches are doing it. From our other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, diatribes? It yeah, took you that long di- to, long, to figure out. <laughs> long diatribes. <laughs> So, um, all the mega churches are doing it. And as a, I mean, I'm in a small church. I mean, we're kind of in flux now. We have average attendance around 120. So we're a smaller church, you know, definitely not a mega church. And like you get people, like I get people in our congregation or or whatever, they'll suggest, well, the church, the church at so-and-so is doing this. So maybe we should try that. And what they don't realize is often these mega churches are built on the backs of other local churches. What they do is they, they, they siphon off um, people from smaller congregations who, unfortunately, those small congregations didn't have a, a great idea of what meaningful membership looks like. So once the, once the um, cute girl came to town, they went off and sought her out. Okay, you done chasing that rabbit? Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. We need like a hand signal so you can tell me just to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find many churches that haven't bowed at least one knee to the modern informal trend. For those who attend their church's traditional service, the demographic ten- trends are not encouraging. Ushers for these services might as well require an AARP card for entry. <laughs> <laughs> At my church, the number of kiddos are trotted forward for the children's sermon last Sunday was zero. It won't be long until old-timey Protestants are searching out liturgical 
worship services like Catholics have to search out a Latin mass. So is he advocating? So is he saying that Catholic Catholics should just do all their services in Latin mass? In Latin? No, he's just making a comparison between Catholics that don't like the mass in English or the vernacular. To go back the Latin. Latin. Yeah. I mean, and there uh, are what, what, and there are some people. I mean, I, I think different styles are appropriate for different people. Um, the way you're drawn to, uh, I, I absolutely get that. That there are going to be some people that a uh, very formal liturgical worship is going to speak to them and minister to them in a way that a more a more casual or informal service won't. But but that doesn't make it good or bad or better. It just means people are different. And so God ministers to people in different ways. And some people need that structure. I mean, there's a danger. There's a danger on one end of the spectrum where you can be too casual. And then there's a the danger on the other end of the spectrum where you can be so formal as to be, as to just be set in concrete and just dead and cold. So, I, I'm fine with the notion that liturgical speaks to some people and that work and it, and it works well for them. I just, I'm not fine with the notion that it's, that that's the way everybody ought to worship again, because it's a very Western way of thinking about worship. Like that's how everybody in the world doesn't worship like that. So. Mm-hmm. I feel you. I feel you. Why can't we celebrate our differences? Yeah, I mean, it's, look, you know, different cultures, people are different, and I've been in a lot of different worship settings now globally, as well as in the United States, and honestly, I mean, there are some that I'm much more comfortable in, much more ministered to, and others, but that's just sort of personally how God's wired me up. That doesn't mean I think it's bad what they're doing. Um, you go to, I mean, Africa, I mean, dance is like just because it's so much a part of, of, of that culture overall that it, it is infused in the church and, and what's a really powerful way, but you're not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to engage in it that way. Cause I'm just not, I'm not wired that way. And culturally I'm not bent that way. So mm-hmm doesn't mean what they do is, is somehow bad. It just, it's, it's culturally appropriate for them. And that's great. And I just think there has to be some realization of that um, by folks that wanted to stay with the state and tried and true and traditional formulas. It's fine if that works, but you need to understand it's not going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to be willing to understand that, the gospel is not negotiable, but forms are. Mm-hmm. So, so. Yeah. So closing out that point, he says, while the larger worship war seems to be over, there might still be time to save at least one element of the traditional service, the hymnals. Would you like to take up the next part? Yeah. So the second, the next heading is hymnals are disappearing. Hymnals are a wonderful legacy of Western Christianity. They've been housed in pew racks and church sanctuaries for centuries. Since they first appeared in the United States during the 1830s, hymnals have been indispensable for worship, objects of treasure both in the sanctuary and in households. In my denomination, many received engraved hymnals as confirmation presents. Churchgoers used 
used to probably carry their own hymnals to church. Nobody's doing that anymore. In fact, more and more worshipers aren't even looking at hymnals in church. Instead, they gaze, their gaze is fixed to the front wall and the screen attached to it. On this screen, everything from lyrics to announcements to YouTube videos is displayed. Churches in all traditions meeting in all manner of worship spaces are fa fastening large white canvases to their chancel walls and leaving the hymn books to molder in the pew racks. A report from, 20, from 2004 indicated that almost 60% of churches use some form of projector technology at least once a year. Another study from 2011 estimated that two-thirds of Protestant churches employed a large screen projection system. In the last gasp effort, here's a case for bringing back hymnals and ditching those awful screens. So I don't know what um, denominational affiliation this guy is. Probably Episcopalian or Presbyterian would be my guess, just from his language. Mm -hmm. Obviously, so he's in a very kind of a, a high church very traditional, very formal setting. Very different from our churches. So our church's ideas of formality in worship are very different than an Episcopalian or Presbyterian. Right. And he's so he's working from that context. I actually agree that hymnals are a wonderful legacy of Western Christianity. I mean I, I think we both agree, right? Like yeah, yeah. we're both pro hymnal. Yeah, I just don't I mean, and so this is basically this section is basically a lament. Mm -hmm. that fewer and fewer people are using hymnals. Uh, I agree hymnals are wonderful and the legacy, And but let's get on to his points. And here's you know what this kind of reminds me of? What's that? Um, I listen to sports talk radio and because uh, I'm an awful person. And what I've learned is whenever somebody wants to call into the radio show and to talk about baseball, it's usually a guy in his 60s or 70s um, complaining about how the younger generation doesn't appreciate baseball because you know the statistics show that baseball is decreasing in popularity and you know it's it's america's pastime at least it was for for a number of years and he's lamenting a sense of the dying of his sport why because that is his treasure is baseball all right my concern for this brother and i, and I assume he's a brother in christ i'll assume that like tom your idol is hymnals like you care more about the hymnal than you do about God. And that's my concern for him and for many who might amen this article. Yeah. And again, I, I think his is broader than just the hymnals. I think he's, he's pivoting on a hymnal, but it's really, he's lamenting the loss of, and what is in his mind, traditional, formal, appropriate worship of God. Mm -hmm. All right. So his first point Oh, this should this be me? This should be me. Screens don't belong in church. Well, then there you go. <laughs> All right, that's the podcast, everybody. See you next. This was brought to you by the Advent Christian uh, Triennial next year, August something to something. Deuces. Mm -hmm. All right. So his first, you know, they don't belong in church. That's his heading. Yeah. To the first point, they're horrifically ugly. Now that's just a blanket statement, right? That, that's not that. That's never helpful when you disagree with someone. I, I've done some counseling recently, and when you talk to someone and they just say, "Well, my wife never does this," or "My husband always does that." Really, they always do that, or she never does this. It's when you make those blanket statements. 
it adds fuel to the fire. You want to be as precise as possible. So I would agree that there are many screens that are ugly. Can we agree on that? Oh, yeah, no, there's some that are really poorly done. Yeah. Okay. But they're not all horrifically ugly. No, I mean, I think your church is a great example of a really nice integration of flat panel LEDs in your worship space that enhance it and they don't take away from it at all. And that was done well before I got here. Yeah. Um, in churches that don't like churches, wait, in churches that don't look like churches, the sort that instinctively prompt you to look for basketball nets and the scoreboard, they almost fit. Now, I will admit, I am pro, I, I mean, I, lo- I like pews. I like the formality of worship. In fact, when I think of my ideal place to worship, I think of like a three or 400 year old church in New England that has ornate wood um, decorate, you know, th- that kind of stuff. Um, you're from here, you're from Charlotte. So you probably don't know that even where New England is, but it's beautiful. It really is. It's, is, it is wonderful. But I am also like when a church has only a limited amount of funds and it's trying to do certain things, um, you don't, and say you want to build a fellowship hall or you want to, you, you want to do something for the youth where they can do, have a place to, to play. Cause listen, playing in the summer, in North Carolina, it's kind of hard to do, right? It's it's hot out uh, at at two o'clock, three o'clock. So, having a worship area or your sanctuary that can double as a fellowship hall, you roll some tables in or whatever. That's I think that's wonderful. So, I don't necessarily like his his point here, but we'll move on. Screens feel at home among the accoutrements of contemporary worship they also dominate the space guitars mics 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 what's he, he got against microphones I, I don't know he wants everybody he wants every preacher to you know be like charles spurgeon with a big booming voice um drum kits keyboards and amps behind that typically giant luminescent slabs on the wall in a traditionary traditional sanctuary on the other hand with subdued natural lighting pews and steps leading to a chancel what's a chancel this is the second time he's mentioned a chancel and i don't i think that's up there where i think a chancel is where you stand to preach pulpit yeah we we call it a pulpit but i think the chancel and i i'm not sure about this someone can correct us but i think a lot of times they'll be it'll be elevated um where the preacher stands to either read or preach from and um and so that is that's elevated you do climb up into it and of course that is cool because it's an architectural um, element that's designed to elevate the preaching of the word of god that it stands above and authority over everything else so it's it's a cool thing but i think that's what he's talking about here the screens jump out and slap your aesthetic sensibilities <laughs> housed next to time-honored trappings of ecclesiastical tradition like an altar a pulpit and a lectern Screens just don't fit. So why are they there? Some reasons are practical. Screens elevate worshippers' heads out of hymnals and up toward the front, which amplifies the volume during the songs. Screens also free worshippers' hands. Par- I don't see why that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Worshipper. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't saying I don't know what that word is. Oh. I was saying I don't know what that matters. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
maybe because he doesn't like people waving their hands in worship. Yeah, but he probably doesn't like them putting their hands up. Yeah. I don't, I don't, do you, are you a way, are you a waiver? I'm not, but I don't have problems with people do it. Same here. Yeah. I mostly just have my hands in my pockets because yeah. I'm so informal. Um, parishioners with weak eyes can often see words on a big screen better than words in a hymnal for visitors or the unchurched seekers, as they're often called screens, remove the learning curve required to read music. Okay, so I'm going to, yeah, I mean, I think he makes a good case for screens there. I think he puts a lot of positives. I mean, yeah, sold. Yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) well, of course, the thing that I like about him most is this first point he makes that it does lift people's heads and so that Mm -hmm. they're looking forward and it really can help congregational singing. Yeah. So that's the end, right? The screens are okay. Uh, unfortunately no i'm gonna read the next i really want to get down to his uh, last point because that's the one that i'm really most interested in (laughs) so i'm gonna i want to keep reading um uh projector this is this is not it though so this is um projector screens reflect our tech obsessed culture um so in our visual culture screens possess another less practical appeal The control screens have over our daily life is staggering. We spend countless hours at the office staring at a computer screen and then come home to watch another big flat screen for our evening's entertainment. Between tablets, laptops, smartphones, and e-readers, there's no getting away from the bits and the bytes, the ones and the zeros. With all this, why not worship screens in church too? In a culture that treasures the new, convenient, and informal and plants a sloppy, wet kiss on every new tech toy, the appeal of worship screens is easily explained. The downside is that as we eliminate hymnals from the worship life of the church, we lose everything they contain and represent. Now, I, I can't let that go. That is simply not true. <laughs> so that is i do like his reference to a popular um contemporary worship song with the sloppy way right yeah he's picking on crowder there right is that he's saying well crowder's not the one who originally sang that song it was um, some other less famous dude that a lot of well people who've been christians longer than i have know who know okay all right so i will continue now it becomes difficult to teach new songs and worship screams primarily because there are no notes let me just say i can't read music so the notes and the hymnals don't help me and so it's no harder for me and I would gather most people uh, to learn a new song. But anyway. uh, screens only work when worshipers already know the melodies. Well, that's true for hymns. <laughs> Worship playlists at contemporary services are often meager because the same song tends to be sung over and over again. A lot of churches do that with hymns, though. Um, if you're not already familiar with the tune, you cannot sing from the screen. I'd say same thing goes from him. Uh, there are no instructions on how many pitches you must devote to each syllable. In cases like these, most just end up keeping their mouths shut. This also limits the complexity of the song's music and words because it's easier to learn simpler songs when new ones are introduced without sheet music. Like I say, I can't read music, so the music doesn't help me anyway. So this is falling on deaf ears for me. Justin, you realize as a Christian, you have to be able to read, read music. Well, I'm a poor one then. According to this guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, was just like, I mean, there's an assumption that well, everybody knows how to read music. I, 
I don't know how to read music. Uh, I don't. I know. I know a lot of people that don't know how to read music. So yeah. Well, he's leaving. So far, I'm thoroughly convinced at this point in the article that he has not made hardly a good point on. Yeah, and I, I think now the it, next point he makes is awesome. And I think we both agree on the next point, which is the only good point he has in the article as far as why we should have hymns. Right. Yep. All right. So you can go for the last point, which I think is his most significant point. But I'll tell you, I don't, I still don't think that justifies having hymnals. So go ahead. Yeah. Hymnals provide deep, theologically rich worship. As hymnals fade, theology also suffers. The rich repository of religious wisdom contained in hymns will be lost. The old-fashioned language of hymns may strike some as unusual, but their text teaches the Christian faith far better than most of the praise choruses that dominate contemporary services. Agreed. Yeah. Old hymns. Go ahead. I was going to say, actually, if... If the first sentence read, as hymns fade, theology also suffers, I would agree with that 100%. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm, 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 right, I'm right with it thus far. Old hymns were carefully crafted with theology at the forefront. Traditional hymns present doctrine clearly and beautifully convey the gospel story of saving grace. Now, not all hymns. In fact, there are a great many hymns that are probably even even in our hymnals that are heterodox or border on border on heresy we like just because it's a hymn doesn't mean just because it's old and it's a hymn doesn't mean it's doctrinally correct right right, right. right. yeah um but yeah he has some good points um there in that paragraph on a larger scale how do worship screens affect worship are they like other technology my oh no are they truly neutral beneficial when used well and deleterious when ill applied what in the world does that even mean bad (laughs) this guy just throws in the ten dollar words randomly um we still have the same worship they say we simply added the screens Instead of people looking down at their books, now they're looking up at the wall. Everything else is exactly the same. Maybe so. Probably not. We may not want screens to change how we worship, but they certainly will. They definitely change the sermon receiving experience. Images on the screen constantly interrupt attention. They do change the view and they put the technology front and center, rendering it visible where it used to merely exist subtly in the background. While singing in a modern service, it's hard not to start thinking about things other than the music. Will the slide change at the right time? Will the correct slide come up next? Oh, look, there's a typo. It's hard not to see how technology distracts from the meaning of the words we sing. Screens represent a move away from permanence in the transitory. The words contained in a hymnal were printed in a book that was published with care. Inked on the paper, accompanied by notes and staffs, hymnals were real. The words on the screens may look like the words in the book, but they lack substance. 
they lack substance because they're not in a book? That's what he's saying. <laughs> okay. Just want to make that clear. They very well – I just want to make this point. Songs can very well lack substance. Absolutely. In fact, I would say the majority of modern, popular, contemporary worship songs lack significant substance like many of the old hymns do. But it's not because they're not in a book. It's because they're crafted by people who probably lack serious theological depth. They'll disappear the moment the switch is flipped off. That's, that's the end to his best argument, which really his best argument ended in the first paragraph of this argument. Yeah. Again, I think he makes a really important point that the great hymns are theologically robust in a way that most contemporary praise music is not. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. That being said, there are a lot of good modern hymns mm -hmm. that I think he doesn't allow space for that. He doesn't allow space for, you know, Keith, Keith and Christian Getty, for instance, mm -hmm. or, or Andrew Peterson or somebody like that who's writing weighty. It continues to, to write hymns. They're just modern hymns. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I agree, and I think this is an important point, that the Jesus is my boyfriend songs are killing us in the church. Yeah. There's no I question agree. about that, but it has, it's not because we've lost hymnals. It's because we lost hymns, mm -hmm. and we need to figure out how to integrate hymns back into our worship more effectively in a lot of our churches. Um, that being said, there are some new contemporary songs that are good. And finding those out and, and being discerning and using those can be really powerful in aid in worship as well. So I, I disagree with the notion that if they're not in a book, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, a book, and I love books. You know, I'd rather read a paper book than an e-book. But, but, but once the book's printed, it's done, you can't add to it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's very static at that point. And so I think that's one of the beauties of, of using technology and using digital screens, whatever that looks like, is you suddenly, your capacity for learning new things, new good things, is it's, in, it's infinite in a sense because you can always continue to add. Whereas if you're working on a hymnal, you got what you got and that's it. Mm -hmm. so, but I do agree with the notion that we've lost a lot of our theological kind of insight and understanding and even vocabulary because hymns have faded. I agree with that completely. Yeah. And I like, I use three criteria um, in time with my, my worship um, committee that we have. So our, our, our church is set up so that, the leader of the worship committee, the chairperson there and myself have authority to choose music um, for the worship service. Um, but what I do is I open that up to the entire worship team and we use three criteria um, to select music for Sunday morning. Um, I ask that it be biblically accurate, that it's theologically accurate, that it's deep theologically, that, you know, it's not, it's rich um, and that it's, easily sung by the congregation. So those three things, because really we shouldn't be coming here to listen to somebody sing to us. Um, that's one of the problems I actually have with a lot of the churches that this guy, Tom Robb, I think has 
um, is you have um, essentially you're coming for the show. And I don't think that we're really supposed to come for the show. We're come to, we come to worship God, period. Um, that's right. our first and foremost. We're providing an offering to him. Right. But a lot of that stuff even doesn't have anything to do with what they're seeing, but, but how it's being presented. I, I remember a year or two ago um, back, I was, I went to a church on Sunday morning and they had a band which was fine. And the band was okay. I mean, they, they weren't great, but they weren't terrible. Um, but they were loud. So loud. In fact, that as I looked around the room, nobody was singing mm-hmm. because you couldn't even hear yourself. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't what they were singing was bad. I mean, it seems like it, they may even sung a hymn in there, but it was just the way it was presented. It was like you were at a show Mm-hmm. and and that that is that is an issue so i think you're right but that has nothing to do with whether people have that can happen though even if people have hymnals mm-hmm. and that's really in some ways like i'm not um i'll get in trouble for this probably but i'm not a huge choir fan mm-hmm. because choir automatically means passivity mm-hmm. from the congregation Mm-hmm. It automatically turns it into a kind of viewing, listening experience where all you're doing is passively taking in. And so, and I, and I know choirs can probably be used very effectively to enhance people's worship. Um, but it's, I think it's a danger even with choirs and robes singing hymns if you're not careful to engage mm-hmm. people, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right, final, final, his, his final closing thoughts. To save worship, we must rediscover hymnals. If circumstances don't change, worship screens will eventually kill hymnals. Now, you can tell this is dated because they already have killed hymnals. <laughs> Although it may be a slow, painful death, long after Gutenberg, long after Gutenberg books will still be were still being handed, hand copied and printed from woodblocks. In his book, The Shallows, Nicholas Carr points out the old technologies lose their economic and cultural force. It's the new technologies that govern production and consumption that guide people's behavior and shape their perceptions. We traditionalists may take the hymnal with us to the grave, while economic forces will push publishing companies away from producing new hymnals and revising old ones. Does any of this matter? Will the warnings of traditionalists bring any worship screens down from the chancel walls or lead congregations to rethink installing them in the first place? Maybe the whole thing is moot. How long before implanted hardware in our brains will allow us to download hymnals and project them directly onto our retinas? Voila, and no more screens. Those who wish to see Christian faith, the Christian faith prosper, however, should consider the long-term effects that replacing hymnals with screens will have on worship and faith itself. What technology giveth, technology taketh away. The musical and theological repertoire of the church will be constricted. Even marginally unfamiliar hymns will slide out of the public consciousness forgotten forever, and worship will be impoverished for it. The end. I think, and this is not, this is not um, simply a criticism of the author, but I think it's a criticism of, of anyone who thinks that, who anyone thinks that 
the hymnal is their God. And before you criticize me, not you, but the, anyone who's listening to this and say, well, hymnals aren't my God, clearly, but they, they're written about my God, and that's why I like them so much. Well, fine. But if you think along the same lines as this guy, where in this article did he give a biblical and theological argument for why hymnals were more befitting our worship of the Lord than technology. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, even his criticisms of screens uh, was flawed. I think, I mean, the, the notion that, that they're, they're ugly and they just don't belong in those spaces. I don't think is real useful. Um, this whole idea that screens, the, I mean, he sounds like a Luddite, um, you know, I mean, where does it stop? Do we use amplification? Apparently he doesn't like microphones. Um, do we, you know, do we use electric lights? And I mean, I mean, where does that stop? Um, there, there are certain cultural contextualizations and accommodations that are perfectly fine. Uh, the, the key is the message. That's what we can't lose. And I agree that a lot of modern worship music is, it's terribly man-centered um it's it's shallow Mm -hmm. some of it's i mean theologically not great it's all the way to heretical (laughs) and so so there's problems but that doesn't mean there's not good new stuff even good praise music um so i don't know his whole argument just really falls flat i don't i'm with you i don't think he's he's done a very convincing job Although I think the very important point to point out something good about this article is the notion that hymns help us to to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us in a lot of ways theologically. And it's a great way to teach and learn theological truth. And when we lose hymns, we lose some of that depth and we lose uh, we lose those truths in a lot of way. So, Yeah, so... There are problems with the article. If someone shares this article on Facebook, you can point them to our podcast and they'll probably send John or Justin some hate mail at jnash at ACGC dot um, Yahoo. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, no, I think it's a great article. I've enjoyed talking about it. Again, I think there are some good points to it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't like the the idea that we've lost, that we've become. I think we have in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, become too casual about worship. But I don't. I think you can still be formal and casual. So I don't think you mm-hmm. fix the problem by formality. Do you mean reverent? Maybe reverent would be better. Reverent and casual. Well, no, I mean, I prefer that. Well, no, no, I think those are. I think we ought to be reverent and not be casual. Mm-hmm. But he is equating in this article casualness and informality and reverence for formality. My point is you can be formal and still be casual. Mm -hmm. You can still come in and just go through the motions and think you've done something. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that, that formality gets you out of being casual. I'm not sure formality makes you reverent Mm -hmm. in in, in a worship service. Mm -hmm. I'm just, because you look, I mean, so look at the Old Testament as a great example. 
I mean, you know, what was in what was God's criticism? Your your lips praise me, but your heart's far from me. Mm-hmm. They were they were very formal. They were going through all the proper worship, but they weren't reverent. They were just formal. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm not sure formality and reverence necessarily go equate. You you can obviously be formal and reverent, but I don't think it's it's necessarily the case that there's a causality there. So that's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. All right, man. Well, that concludes our, um, our discussion on this. And, um, Justin, who's our sponsor for the podcast? Uh, I don't know, but would like to put a date, um, for the six or seven people that listen to this, um, that, uh, August, 9 through 13 2020 august 9 through 13 2020 will be the acgc triennial convention in concord north carolina which is a suburb of charlotte so really charlotte and uh, we will be at the great wolf lodge so bring your family should be a, a big time there more information will be coming out but uh again that's august 9 through 13 2020 the acgc triennial uh, we have some, uh, we're really excited about speakers we have lined up, our theme. And so we're just really excited and like to go ahead and extend an early invitation. And if you mention the podcast, you can pay an extra 10% <laughs> when you register. <laughs> yeah, so you might not want to mention the podcast. Uh, did you know how much the the room rate is? Because I've heard of... I think it was you or somebody else that mentioned that the if you want to stay a couple of days before or a couple of days after that Great Wolf Lodge will honor the same rate. Is yeah, that correct? They, they will, yeah. And it's actually an outstanding room rate. Uh, it's something like $109 a night, which is just insane because That's you get access, outstanding. You oh get access to the water park and all that for that. So, yeah, it's a it's an incredibly good, good rate. Man, I'm used to sp- sp- staying at places that they're like $50 a night. <laughs> it's hard to find any place for fit. It's like a tent now. A tent camp. For I found a place when my family was going on vacation for the first time in ten years next month, and we're going to Bush Gardens for like three days. And I got a hotel for a couple of nights. It was forty-seven dollars a night. Wow. Now, we might contract diseases while we're in there, but that's the price you pay for trying to be. Free. Well, this has been fun, and I look forward to next time. All right, man. God bless.